Welcome to a Jamira Fan Talks About episode of the QuietCast podcast for the Jamly by the Jamly. And here's your host, Jamira Fan 2000. What is up, ladies and gentlemen of the Jamly? This, of course, here is Jamira Fan 2000 with yet another episode, a second episode of Jamira Fan Talks About, which for people who are uninitiated in the series was a long standing series over on my YouTube channel, the Jamira Fan 2000 YouTube channel, where I take a discussionary look at the past, present, and future of Jamiroquai and their now over 30 years of music making. Here in the second episode of Jermaine Fan Talks About, I'm going to take one final look, retrospective look back at 25 years of Jamiroquai's seminal 1996 album, Traveling Without Moving, which ironically just recently had a release of their 25th anniversary commemorative vinyl, which came out all around the world on January 21st of 2022. As a bit of a footnote, I will be doing a complete unboxing of that set of vinyl reissue over on my YouTube channel, so be sure to check out that content coming up very, very soon. But for this episode of A Jamira Fan Talks About, I thought I'd do a little reading like I recently did of the uh, JK message that was, in, of course, in that 25th anniversary vinyl reissue of Jamira Kawhi's 1996 Travel Album by uh, reading the liner notes from the 2013 CD reissue, which, of course, was one of three reissues that was done by Sony celebrating 20 years of uh, Jamira Kawhi's first three releases, 1993's Mercy on Planet Earth, 1994's The Return of Space Cowboy, and, of course, 1996, Traveling Without Moving. I thought I'd go ahead and read the uh, great lengthy message that was written by JK um, in the 20th anniversary edition on CD, two CD release of Traveling Without Moving, so everyone in the Jamly could uh, listen to this great writing about JK reflecting on Traveling Out Moving, the production of Traveling Out Moving, and the inspiration for many of the songs on for Traveling Out Moving, which would turn out to be one of the most important albums in the entirety of the Jamiroquai discography. And if you don't want to, if you do not want to be spoiled by this uh, write-up by J.K., you can uh, go to all your, go to any uh, retail website and find uh, the 20th anniversary double CD reissue of the first three Jamiroquai albums in very plentiful quantities on any website you can think of. So you know, Amazon, Discogs, eBay, you can find these two CD uh, releases uh, pr- rather in good quantities around the world if you want to order them for yourself. But for and members of the family who want to read this, want to hear this uh, write-up by J.K. from these uh, 20th anniversary uh, double CD release of Charlie on Moving. Here we go. This was written by JK um, back in 2013. Virtual Insanity was the first thing written and the last thing recorded for the album. Toby and I wrote in the basement on my little muse house in Paddington from an idea I come up with when we were in Japan on the Return of the Space Cowboy tour. Wallace and I had gone for a walk one afternoon in Sendai, which is a huge city, but we must have walked half a mile before we actually saw another living soul. It was in the middle of winter, everything was covered in snow, and there was absolutely no one about. We finally saw a small, a little old lady, and I asked her where everyone was, was, and she pointed to these stairs that led us to this whole underground city. It was insane. A proper city, underground city, with all the color and noise you would get in the Japanese streets. It was a mad, mad world down there, which sowed the seed for the chorus. Now, there is no sound, for we all live underground. We weren't specifically writing out the album at the time, so once we added the verse and the piano, we just did a rough demo and we put it all in the shell. The first track was actually the first track that was actually recorded for the album was High Times. If Space Cowboy was alluding to the drug issues we had uh, that had helped make the difficult second album an absolute fucking nightmare, High Times was admitting the truth of the matter of where I had been and how lucky I was to be coming on out the other side. I've never touched crack cocaine. 
but it is a slippery slope, and the verses imagine someone who has gone all the way down it. Little Angela suffers delusions from all these high times. She's been cleaning up since 14 on the main line, and her hunky, funky junkie of a boyfriend got her on late nights with a skirt tight. The chorus was more personal. Last night turned the daylight, and a minute became a day. Last night, all my troubles, well, they seem so, fo- so far away. Searching my reflection for a glimpse of another me. I've got to get away from all these high times, because these high times are killing me. The lyrics were very hard and dark. It was a huge track, and there was great feeling in the studio when we were recording it. Derek laying down these solid drums and everybody grooving along to it. There was a real intensity which there which carried all the way through the recording of the album. The vocals were done in one take, and when we listened back to it, we knew we had smashed it. I thought to myself, yeah, this is good. Going into this album, I decided that we were needed to do a few changes. Emergency on Planet Earth and Return to Space Cowboy went on to sell nearly 3 million copies apiece. But at the time, we had only done 1.5 million each. And while that was good, I didn't want to become this semi-underground kind of act that stuck to the, to its little niche and sold 1.5 million albums every time. I wanted to break out and do something bigger, more international. To do that, we had to do things differently. First, the way we recorded, I couldn't go through the experience of the Return of the Space Cowboy again. We needed to be more focused, and we needed momentum. So I booked us a big residential studio where we would be on the top of each other all the time, and we could work at all hours, whenever we needed to. Secondly, the skinny kid in the big coat and the fur hat had to sharpen up and get slicker. So did his music. The second album had some amazing flavors and musical details on it, but it was incredibly complex and hard to get your head around, especially for us making it. If we wanted to extend ourselves, we needed to have a more universal sound. The residential studio that had exactly the right effect and probably went a long way in making the album the watershed it was. The vibe was great. There was this great camaraderie in the band, and we were all going more and more confident, and we were all having fun. They they were good, good they were good, good times, and that comes across on the tracks. The next track we recorded was Use the Force. I had been asked to write something for Euro '96, so there's was there was so there's going for this real vintage football vibe. Sola's uh, doing all the percussion like it's Brazil 1970. Already we had the confidence coming through. We were learning that we didn't have to throw everything at a track. The changes were subtler, and even though it was one of the harder tracks on the album, it glides along. It's in flight. We're not pushing it. We're allowing it to have its own momentum. We're learning that we don't have to hammer it all out all the time. That it doesn't have to be thrown in your face to be groovy. Really, we were learning how to put the boogie in by leaving stuff out. The Return of the Space Cowboy was all about, was all or nothing. Everything in everything's in there. On this album, there was a lot of more space. I remember having an argument with Stewart about Cosmic Girl because he thought the baseline was too simple. We had just come out of this club, and I've had a, and I'd had a great night. And for whatever reason, we were feeling inspired and started singing. She's just a Cosmic Girl. I may have had a particular young lady on my mind from another galaxy. My heart's in zero gravity. Then I sang Stuart the bass line. He, was, uh, he, he wasn't having any of it. We had a furious argument. I think I sang him Roy Ayers' Everybody Loves the Sunshine to prove my point that the bass doesn't have to be complicated, that it could just play the rhythm. He wasn't happy about it, though. All Right was the next bass line that came out of nowhere. I had gone for a pee, and it came to me as I went. After I'd finished, I went running back in the studio and told everybody to stop what they were doing. And within five minutes, we had this boogie going. And it wasn't the track, the quick 
that how quickly it wasn't true how quickly the track came together. It was such an easy, natural groove, but there's a slickness to the sound, a sveltness, which along with all the gorgeous synthesizers and lovely groove sounds that Toby was using was exactly the upgrade we needed. It was all about locking into the eternal rhythms and not forcing it with any external ones. And it applied both to men, to the party tracks and, of course, to the chill tracks. Every day, digital vibrations, spend a lifetime, beautiful, spacious tracks that just rolled along naturally and sounded amazing, turned up to a loud, turned up loud on a good set of speakers at 3 o'clock in the morning after a hard night out. It takes confidence to let a track breathe and do its own and, and not overcomplicate it. Even took, it, it even... It, it took even more confidence at the time. The likes of the Prodigy and the Chemical Brothers were having massive hips with really banging heavy tracks, and there's me wanting to ease off and lighten up and let the groove speak for itself. Meanwhile, I've got the record label, I've got the record company coming in, as record companies are wont to do, asking where the singles singles were. I remember being told that Cosmic Girl was a radio hit and it would it would only ever be played in gay clubs. And even having it suggested to me that we might have to try being a bit more Britpop. I don't remember exactly what who said that, but I do remember them leaving reasonably quickly and possibly the odd thing being thrown at them. <laughs> you've got to be you've got to be careful. You've got to be so careful that you protect what you're doing and you don't let someone else come in and ruin it. Making an album is like designing a car. You have the average that looks nothing like the original swooping Kirby vision, the one that got everyone excited in the first place. But now, though, there was a real feeling within the band that we knew what we were doing, and this is this, and that this was the album. We were feeling good about ourselves and starting to enjoy our lifestyle too. You can tell that you can tell that I'm 26, on the lookout for girls, driving a purple Lamborghini, and being who I am. Especially on the tracks like Cosmic Girl and All Right, which to, still to this day are the two tracks that everyone goes nuts for at the gigs. Without the doubt, the grinning kid with the skateboard was leaving, was leaving, and his sharper, better dressed older brother was having this presence felt. The whole flavor of the album was just a bit leaner, just a bit cooler. Not everyone was impressed, though. We played the finished album to the record company, and I was told categorically that there was no singles on it. Where's the big single, they kept saying. We need a big single. Where is it? We thought we cracked it with Cosmic Girl, All Right, and Hall Time, High Times, and we thought we were spoiled for the choices of their singles. But they just looked at us and asked if we had anything else. And in the end, Toby and I relented and said that we did have one other track we were demoed, but hadn't been recorded. I put the tape in, press play, the piano starts, and then the vocals come in. And it's a wonder that man can eat at all. Their exact words when they finished were, You've done it! I said, What do you mean, we've done it? They said, You've done it! There's a track that we've been waiting for, and it's going to be huge. I didn't get get what they were talking about when in a minute they'd tell me there were no singles and then the next minute the album's going to be massive we went in the studio and recorded it and thanks to a small part to Jonathan Glazier's video Virtual Insanity cap cap catapulted the album and us way out of a million and a half album league in the end, Traveling on Movie sold nearly 8 million copies, 1.5 million in America alone, and won an Iver Novella Award for Outstanding Song Collection. Virtual Insanity won a Grammy and four MTV uh, awards, including Video of the Year. I distinctly remember the MTV Awards. It was New York at the Radio City Music Hall back when we were a big, big deal, and it was something to be invited 
let alone perform or win anything. I slicked myself up. I slicked myself up for a bit, and everyone was very interested in us and was being very nice. We performed virtual insanity, which all went well, and it was. And then it was the winner is Jamiroquai, 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 Jamiroquai. It was fucking unbelievable. I remember rolling back into the hotel that night, grinning my head off, thinking this is great. And tomorrow I'm going to wake up, and it's still going to be great. And I'm going to be the man on the about the town. And I'm so and I'm so having that. And why not? There's a time to be humble, and there's a, and there's being humble, and there's pretending to be humble, which is far worse than not actually going. No, it was fucking great. We did it. Bloody right. We wooped everyone else in the arse. It was a long way from unpronounceable underground act to international multi-award winning household name. You've got to take your bit of glory and enjoy it when you get there. Written by JK in March of 2013. Like I said, this uh, this uh, two CD um, 20th anniversary 2013 reissue of Traveling on Moving alongside the other two released albums, uh, Mercy on Planet Earth from 1993 and, of course, The Return of the Space Cowboy from 1994, are available in very plentiful quantities um, from your local retailer or on your online retailer. So do your own searching online, see if you can find them for yourself. And as an additional um, help, I'm going to probably, uh, what I'll do is down in the description area of this episode, this Jameer Fan Talks About episode of the Quiecast, I will put Discog links to all three of those 20th anniversary two CD reissues of the first three Jameer Quiet albums. And additionally, um, don't forget the 2022 reissue of the 25th anniversary of Traveling Out Movies. Col- Double colored vinyl is now out, available everywhere as of January 21st, 2022. So if you get a chance, get that vinyl f- for your collection and just enjoy the music. And as I uh, preface, preface at the beginning of this episode, I will be doing a complete unboxing of the 25th anniversary uh, double color uh, vinyl reissue of Traveling Out Moving, which was released, of course, on January 21st, 2022, on my YouTube channel. So be sure to check out check that out very, very soon. Be sure to like and subscribe, and be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel to stay update for when that video goes live. As always, this is Jameer Fan 2000 I hope you enjoyed this episode of the QuietCast. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, be sure to follow me on all my social out on um, social media links that are noted down below in the description area of this episode of the QuietCast. And um, I'll be sure to try to bring you all the latest news as it becomes available as we roll into 2022. As always, this is Jameer Fan 2000 Thank you for listening to this uh, Jameer Fan Talks About episode. And I'll see you again really soon with more Jameer Kwai related content here on the QuietCast podcast. Bye bye, everybody, and take care.